This is Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Live class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And we are currently studying the Gospel of John, and we are in Chapter 6. And our last class, uh, we uh, looked at the first half of Chapter 6, in which John relates the story, like the other Gospels, of Christ feeding the 5,000 on the banks of the Galilee. And he gives us his own personal take on, on that miracle. Uh, after, and John's personal take is not so much the miracle, but was the reaction of the crowd after the miracle in which they wanted to crown him king. These were Jewish radicals that wanted to overthrow Rome, and they were looking for the Messiah to make them the new kings of the world and, uh, and, and throw down all the oppressors. And they were hoping that Jesus would be that guy. And since Jesus was um, giving them free heavenly bread, they, 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 they thought, hey, we found him, slap a crown on him, let's start this march. You know, they were, they, they, it was um, uh, a push toward uh, militarization that Christ, was, that was obviously not his, his ministry. So Christ withdraws from this as the crowd gets rowdy and out of hand and moves into the mountains to pray, and he breaks up the crowd ends the big session, stops performing miracles, stops healing people. I assume there was some healing going on while he was feeding the 5,000 there. And then he sends his disciples to Capernaum. Now they are on the banks at this point of Tiberias, and in my map, Tiberias was at that time a little city on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, the, he sends the disciples north up to Capernaum, and in the evenings, even to this day, in, uh, 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 in Galilee, uh, a cool wind will come off of the Mediterranean Sea. And because Galilee is massively below sea level, uh, enough to make New Orleans shamed in, in bragging about it, uh, and all this cool air will flow down this, this, this cliff of a mountain that, that separates those two oceans, and it forces all the, the warm air up, and they always get some kind of a pretty stiff gale of a breeze coming from the north every evening as the sun goes down. And sometimes they get massive storms, depending on what's going on in the Mediterranean at the time, which, is, which is, several have been recorded in Scripture. Well, we have a big old gale that night. And so uh, the disciples, who are accomplished fishermen and know how to row, we assume, uh, could probably make it, based upon what I could figure out, to Capernaum within two hours, if you were uh, a stout fellow that knew how to operate an oar. Uh, they were halfway there, as near as we can tell, because we actually have the mileage recorded. And um, so they were making poor progress. They weren't in danger. It wasn't like uh, uh, Jonah or anything. They weren't uh, afraid of being capsized but uh, they were not making any progress. And it also, John records, that, that uh, the next morning, a whole bunch of boats had been blown down to the coast of below Tiberias, which means that all the other boats on the ocean had also been blown back the other way and had not made it to Capernaum. So here we are, the disciples are struggling in the middle of a heavy wind. And John records that Jesus walked by. 
Which you have to admit would be a little off-putting. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's Matthew records that he acted as if he was just going to pass them. You know, and it keeps on walking. And he didn't approach them until they called out to him. Because you have, we, we are independent operators, and Christ will not come to us unless we invite him, you know. And so he just, he's walking by in the midst of their trial, and uh, they invite him into the boat. John does not record all of Peter's trials. Um, and, and I can assume that that is simply because he, he would be covering an old story. Everybody knows that story. John is writing this. Peter has already told that. Yeah, absolutely. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are already well distributed at the point that John actually wrote his gospel. He wrote it late in his life. And he was the young whippersnapper in the disciples. So, you know, we're, we're assuming that when he writes this, most of the other apostles are gone. You know, this is after Peter was crucified. It was, you know, uh, so, so this is John, the last of the apostles, recording his last big word and he's uh, there's a feel to this as if he has preached it repeatedly for years hi danny well okay there's a chair back there we are not proud just grab a spot and squeeze in so he is, um, please eat one before Ron eats the rest. Okay, okay. So, um, they invite Christ into the boat, and what little detail that John records that the others don't, they instantaneously found themselves on the uh, coast of Capernaum. They magically zipped from the middle of the ocean where they were straining against the gale and bang, and they were where they needed to be. So how did that happen? Christ stopped the storm. Translation. Interdimensional travel. Have you read Wrinkle in Time? Explains it beautifully. <laughs> at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a junior high level, it explains it beautifully. You really should read Wrinkle in Time. It's marvelous. See, see, there's a bending of space, and there's a, yeah. It's, because uh, God made it so. And, and honestly, I think God made it so by, by wrinkling time, because it makes sense, really. I mean, okay. Okay. Uh, uh, we'll get into my weird sci-fi version of faith later. But anyway, uh, that's what Judy calls it. My faith is sci a sci-fi version of faith. Um, <laughs> She's lived with you the longest. Well, yeah. she has. And it's kind of fair, but it, it's also true. I, 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 I think they're... Never mind. I'm not going to chase this rabbit. Uh, so, here we are. Uh, they're at the Capernaum. And, and the crowd the next day follows them, as I recap from last week. And uh, the crowd finds that uh, all these other boats got blown back. The disciples have disappeared. Don't know where they are. Christ was not with the disciples, and Christ ain't here. Weird! And they all want more bread. Because they came for the show. 
and the show has moved on. Please jump in. I know you're about to burst, Clayton. Yeah, yeah I can burst. see your face. It is straining you, so okay. We covered it last week of miracle followers. Yes, uh, they are miracle followers, and that becomes out, and Christ addresses that in this last section because they catch up with him at Capernaum, and then Christ speaks to all of that, and it gets heavy and hard really fast. This is actually kind of some dense text, and there is a lot to it, and there's a lot kind of assumed on the part of the, of the, uh, the understanding of the Hebrews that John's assuming that we all get, and I'm not sure that most modern people do the more I study it. Okay, so having said that, we are going to pick up at 25, and we're going to read a big chunk of text, which goes to 59, and try to deep unpack that. And if we manage to get through it, we will take 60 through 71 and finish the chapter. Yeah. So, beginning at verse 25, in chapter 6, in the NIV, which is, of course, the English language that God wrote. Um, no, James, Kevin, get it right. Hey, 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 I'm teaching here. I'm teaching here, not you. <coughs> when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get there? Because we were watching you and you disappeared. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils or for food that endures to eternal, but, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must me do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who has sent, he has sent. It doesn't sound like a lot of work, does it? That's it. I'm going to step back. Can I step back? Oh, I like NLT. How they how they phrased phrased it. Okay, how did they uh, phrase it? I tell you the truth. You want to believe because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Yes, that, that's fair. I think that's that's consistent with 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 the NIV, of course. But anyway, it, uh, yeah. They're, 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 they're chasing stuff. They're, they're, they're getting free stuff. They showed up for the, for the pancake supper, and they don't want to wait through for the sermon that comes after. Okay, uh, verse 30. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? So they want to see more show. What will you do? Our forefathers ate the man in the desert as it was written, and he gave them bread from heaven to eat because they're looking for that Messiah. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the bread, true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Get that, did they? Then Jesus declared very emphatically, I am the bread of life. 
He who comes to me will never go hungry, and who who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I will lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to his Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? Didn't I know that kid when he was six? I'm pretty sure I knew this kid when he was six. Whose father and mother we know, how can we now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they <clears throat> will be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. And they're squinting at me like faith is squinting at me just now. I can see this whole crowd of Jews squinting at Jesus. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can man give us his flesh to eat? They're whispering cannibal under their breath. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you, will, uh, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. I mean, he's doubling down here. Whoever eats my fl flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And he says this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. You do have to admit that it is, for them, a little confusing. I think it's a little confusing for me. But you know, it's like Isaiah said, they have eyes and they won't be able to see, and they'll have ears and they won't hear. Sure, throw a different take on it. Jewish teachers are very known for their philosophical analytical studies of scripture. Okay. I think there was more of a lean of understanding where it's coming from. They didn't like the message. Explain. They were looking for miracles. They were looking for the militaristic Messiah that was going to take it. The narrative he's given does not match what they're looking for in the Messiah. Right. I mean, not that they fully understood the flesh and the blood and everything like that, but you got to understand that Jewish teachers 
and Jewish religion is a very analytical philosophy. They sit around, they enjoy discussing topics like this. Yes. And so I think they didn't understand because they didn't want to understand this. Where's the miracles? Where, where are you going to take over? Where, when are you going to take out the Romans? This is the beginning where they really start hating the guy. I agree with that. I don't think he's telling them the story that they want to see. Uh, I think they did understand the metaphor of eat my flesh and drink my blood. I struggle with that, and that was really the focus of most of my studies this week. Right. Because uh, I, I, they're, they're not behaving like, oh my gosh, you're a cannibal, right. string him up. You know, Old they, Testament's they, full of stuff like yes, that. Yes, and, and I think they, and they did not go off and start drinking blood right. after this happened, even the true believers. They understood that he is speaking symbolically from the get-go. Now, it's still a hard teaching, even mm -hmm. if it's symbolically. I agree with that. I agree with that, yeah. But I'm thinking, why would they get that? And here's my best shot, and you can take it or leave it as you will. Mm -hmm. And you have to go broader than the Hebrews. They are living under subjugation right. of the Romans, and the Romans are Hellenistic. They worship a broad pantheon of gods that all are based on the old Greek Hellenistic gods. Now, there are three big boys in uh, Roman uh, pantheon, and I may get these mixed up with the Greeks, but we've got Zeus, we've got Poseidon, and Hades, and they're, they're the, yeah, I, I know I'm about to unleash Andrew on us, and I apologize. Let, let me get my thing in first, okay? All right. So they represent conservatism. Uh, they're, they're old school. They're the, they're the, all the power brokers in Rome are worshiping one of those three somewhere because that's who, you know, that, that, that's who runs the joint. That, that's who they, they worship, the big God. If you're the big guy, you worship the big God. If you're the little guy trying to work your way up in the society where you are, the, the Zeus isn't going to do much for you. You need somebody that empathizes with your place and station in life. So if you are a traveling salesman, you, you, you worship the god who of traveling salesmen, which in this case was Hermes. Uh, if you are an up-and-coming 20-something administrator trying to get you know, recognized by the big shots in Rome so that you can climb the ranks in the Roman military, you need somebody that understands what the, what the, uh, the underdog. You need a, a, and there were underdog Roman Hellenistic figures. There were a whole bunch that were half man and half God. Hercules being one. And so he, dad is a god and mom is a human. And depending on who you talk to is whether or not he's a god or has, you know, he, he may have been just a hero and a really strong man. But uh, what, they, what, what we had uh, happening during Christ's lifetime in Rome were something called mystery cults. And uh, heard of that one, Andrew? Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, let, let, me, let me throw it out there and then I'll cut you loose, okay? <laughs> All right, it's, it's, it's badly named. Uh, basically, uh, my take on mystery cults, and Andrew will challenge me, I'm sure, is uh, basically you have a bunch of 20-something uh, Roman uh, uh, officers who are trying to work their way up, 
And what they want is somebody uh, in the system who can do them a favor and help them rise up in rank. They need pull from the top. And so what they do is they form a little secret club among themselves and they pledge their allegiance to a, Ro a Roman god that represents their place in life, Hercules, and to each other. And that's the important part. And it's a secret organization. And uh, since you have this secret handshake and a little symbol among all of your, your group, uh, if, you, if you go in and you're trying to get a promotion and you see that the assistant over there is wearing your little symbol, well, you flash him a sign and then he cuts you a deal and you suddenly you, you rise up in rank. It's basically the beginning of fraternities, which are designed to do exactly the same thing in business. Um, yes. Now, they, they were all secret because the point of this is to be secret because you're trying to secretly advance your career or whatever. And so what we know of mystery cults is kind of sketchy because they didn't really want people to know they were doing this stuff. And there were a bunch of different demigods that tended to be worshipped that way. There were mystery cults about them. And different groups of Romans would get together and they would have these uh, little secret meetings, declare allegiance to each other and to their god, and then they would have this very interesting uh, tradition of consuming the body of the god. And what that would do is bind them together and it binds them to the god. And they would, it would be a symbolic you know, feast. I would eat some kind of meat or whatever, but that was supposed to be the body of Hercules. You eat the body of Hercules and then, you know, you're, you're bound to everybody else in the room forever because you drank the blood. And they would even have baptisms where you walk under, uh, Dionysi worshipers would walk under this kind of a, a, a well, they would walk over under a bridge, basically, and they would dump blood on you and, and, and baptize you in blood as you walk through. And, and, and that would make you be reborn in the cult of Dionysus. Let me give you a modern version of this, Kevin. I work for the city of Garland. You can turn this off. It's probably better if you turn that off when I say this. But uh, <sighs> I work for okay. The, I work for this. So, uh, mystery cults were a new and hot thing in Rome during Christ's lifetime. I am absolutely convinced that all of the Hebrews, particularly the rabbis, were completely aware of that particular trend among the Romans that they served. And when Christ said, when, when they're saying, give us bread, and Christ says, I'm the bread, I think it hits on this kind of a new trendy concept and I think he capitalized on it. And I don't think that it's, you know, I think 
Okay, I don't think that a pagan religion is dictating what Christ wanted from us. That's not my point. But I think that those Jews understood the symbolism of taking my body and my blood because what he's saying is that I want complete and total commitment from you, like one of these mystery cults, where if you broke the brother's order, they may very well stab you in your sleep, you know, because you are, you are committed to their little group, you know, and it, it, it's a gang, basically. And so Jesus wants them in the gang. He doesn't want to just keep farming out more bread. And that's a lot of commitment for somebody showing up for the show. They weren't there for God's grace. They were there for... Yes. It's similar to what we see in friendships in that we have fair weather friends that are there that, oh, hi, how are you? And then you have those level of friends to where you, when you are in crisis, they know because they know you so well yep. that they say, you know, hey, something's off with so-and-so today. Something's going on with them. You know what I'm saying? is, And they will be there with you through thick and thin. It's that he's looking for that different differentiation. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to be a casual thing. I want that close, intimate connection and commitment. Food satisfies the flesh, while what Christ teaches redeems the spirit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Clayton, you have my permission. You're about to have an aneurysm. Please jump in. <laughs> His temple was throbbing. It was literally throbbing. Please, preach. Go for it, brother. Go for it. Go for it, brother. Yeah, the miracle, I mean, when we were youth, my first youth pastorship, we had a young man that was having difficulties and he was starting to come to our youth group and then one time in church, we were, I am Pentecostal, every, by the way, everybody, but we were having a Pentecostal type service and he gave his heart to the Lord, but everybody got up very disappointed and down because he didn't speak in tongues. He got saved. Wow. And it actually quite angered me because they were, oh, he just had his name in the Lamb books and life, 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 and we're down. And I'm, and I like what you said, Kenny. There's nothing wrong with food feeding the body, but that's its purpose, and that's all. Yeah. The miracles are good for the body, but it's the true message of salvation that is for your soul. And I'm not anti-miracle. I love miracles, but sometimes we make that the priority instead of salvation, instead of the soul, instead of the changed life. Miracles are the sign of the changed life. The changed life is the gospel. Yeah. And that's why there are miracle followers. You know, we, in another church I was associate pastor, we had a lady. Well, during this time, first was the laughing movement. Yeah. So she left our church for the laughing movement. She came back after that died. Then she went into the passing out, fainting <laughs> under the spirit movement, went to another church that was doing that. Well, when that died down, she came back to our church. Then she left our church for the gold dust movement. When, oh, no one knows about that. You know the gold dust movement. Oh, the preacher has gold dust coming down on his hand. No, I want some. You've never heard of that? Oh, I never heard of that. Oh, the preacher. The, the How did I miss this? The preacher would put his hand in his pocket where he had gold dust. This is real easy to figure out. He'd come, oh, my goodness, the Lord just brought gold dust on me. And everybody would freak out and stuff like that. There was oh. a feather thing, too, like diamond. Like oh, yeah. Oh my goodness, she went to that because our church is doing gold dust. And she'd go off and do that. Then she'd come back. Very double minded person. And I'm saying, I don't know. 
And what we do is we, we, we put what God meant as a benefit as a priority. Yes. And I think he's, he's, he, he's, he get, I like how you put that, said, hey, I'm telling you about my gang, quote unquote, my gang, <laughs> but my gang is the only way to get to heaven. Yeah. It's like Paul said, you know, I mean, it's like Paul said, he'd rather have this many people in church doing this than this many people speaking in tongues. I remember, remember Paul said, quit your speaking in tongues, you're doing too much of it. Yeah. Now, be a Pentecost preacher to say that today and you get kicked out of church. But he said, too much, stop. And he said, we won't post this. I want you to keep your papers and everything. Yeah. <laughs> 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 They've heard it from me. They've already heard, heard it? Okay. Hey, you figure you're safe by now? Yeah, you, already you've I'm already killed your career, so it's they all right. Think I'm, they think I'm going to hell already, so I mean, whatever. So let's make it full blast. That's why he's in here. Well, you're a back, you're yeah. a back few, back few Baptist pretending to be Pentecostal. That's right. Hey, yeah. don't hey, pick I'm on so Baptist. I'm so up, up in the balcony. In my okay, okay. <laughs> but I, I just, I, I think this is Jesus starting, because notice every time, I, I think it's humorous how he's talking about this, and I go, okay, yeah, that's great, but what about the bread? Mm -hmm. He says, well, let me tell you about this. They go, okay, that's great. And what, and what about, about the bread? bread? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what about the miracle? What, it, it sounds like I'm so anti-miracle. I've seen miracles. Miracles have happened for me, and I praise the Lord for it. It's great, and I'm proud to be Pentecostal. But the heart of the gospel is the gospel. It's Jesus comes and he saves the sinner, which is, you could throw any miracle in front of me, the greatest miracle of salvation by far is mm -hmm. no debate, at least with me. And I'm not sure. It, it's the and we need to be excited about salvation. Not, not allow it to be trumped by whatever fad or thing that salvation is not a fad. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's interesting that they were following Christ to give them miraculous bread. They were assuming that he was the militant Messiah they were hunting for to overthrow the Romans, and when he says. I'm the bread of life, they look at each other and say, wait a minute, isn't this Joseph's son? They knew. Why are they following him to be the leader of the revolt if he's Joseph's son? You know? I mean, it's kind of a double standard there. That's weird where that comes from. You know, so we're going to accept some things from him, but not, not, not that. You know, it's... Again, it goes back to Isaiah what he said about their eyes are going to be blinded and their ears are going to be closed it's amazing that you know it's amazing that God sent Jesus to do all this knowing that their eyes were going to be closed and their ears were going to be deaf I think we all have and this is getting way philosophical a kind of a world view of why how things should be and we have uh, kind of our own personal philosophy of the way thing, you know, we want what we want America to be. And uh, we translate everything we hear within that context. And so no one is really listening to anything in an unbiased way. We're always filtering it by our own pre-selected filters. And so we walk away from the same instance with a different take. Our own prejudice. Yes. How we view God. Yes, and that can be a powerful, powerful thing. 
And I would love to say that I am um, impartial and can be fair and I can judge a contest. I've done quite a bit of judging of various kinds, you know, but I'm just as biased as anybody else is. And I recognize the fact that, you know, I, I, everything I, I study and hear and learn is filtered through the mind of a 60-year-old East Texas white dude, yeah. you know? And, and, than the person in India. And, while, and, and while, of course, I think that is the correct way, I don't... Uh, <laughs> Everybody, you're angry. I'm being facetious. I, I certainly favor my own perspective. Let's put it that way. I do recognize it's not the only one and not necessarily the only correct one. I guess kind of like the old saying. And he used to say it's correct no. at all. Okay. And I, and I went through all of that. Yeah, don't go there. You'll, you'll get me upset. Um, but all of that to say, I think he's having a hard time winning over these people because they already have this very built-in idea of what the Messiah was supposed to be. Yes, Andrew. Okay. Well, I, was Cut loose, to, I was about to say, like, I guess the old saying, everyone's a hero of their own story. Sure. And all that. So. Oh, yeah. And I like to make some minor corrections what you said earlier. Oh, okay. Okay. When you said Zeus, uh, Poseidon, Hades, that's Greek. Yeah, I told you I might get yeah, that wrong. Yeah, the Roman is basically Jupiter, okay. Okay. Uh, Neptune, and Pluto. Yeah, yeah. No, Same dudes, that. different names. Okay. <laughs> and also, but other than that, most of them you got correct. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> well, no, I said besides those. <laughs> Exactly, a, you know, a motivator. And what he did was appropriate. We've had the miracles, we've had the great stuff. It, it was true. But then he says, now God's leading me to go to this passage of scripture, and I want to speak on this right now. And I don't do miracles. We're out. Wow. I Who was the guy? I, brother, that was 1986 or something. <laughs> <laughs> that was a long time ago. I've been around the long time. <laughs> I don't remember as well. Were you about to say something? Okay, Jesse is up. I think, though, it speaks so much about Jesus. Like, he may not have won them over in the moment, but he's constant. Like, he's he's always uh, pursuing. He's always like, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. He constantly gets, is pursuing everyone, and he's not upset that they don't believe him. Like, I think that's why. Yeah. You know. And I think there, there is a time to send people to class. And there is a time to get back to the basics. And 
you know, if all of the hangers on that are showing up because it's fun or it's social or whatever aren't having any fun anymore and it drops off, the people that are left over are your hard and your solid folks, you know? And uh, I think after, because it, it, we're about to read this passage and there's about to be a falling away because Christ is laying on this hard thing. The people that are left over, that's his disciples. You know, and, and I've seen that happen, you know, with churches uh, swell and wane. And uh, I, I notice, you know, the, the, the waning part can be uncomfortable. I've, I've been in that church several times. But that, that, that inner core of people that are hanging on are not there for the show. They're not there for the social. They're there because God said you be here. And they're following God's will. Yes. And that's, that's where your leadership is. We call is. it addition by subtraction. Well, that doesn't make any sense because you add well, and you I'm subtract. I, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. I was giving you the Andrew answer. Okay. Uh, <coughs> Nothing. Okay. Uh, we have 10 whole minutes, and I really want to finish this chapter. So I'm going to read 60 through 71, and hopefully we can uh, put this to bed. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And, and it was. It's all bloody and all. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He's referring to Judas here. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? I think that speaks, there's just a well of interesting things there. Uh, you have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Uh, John said, looking back, I just added, uh, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. So John wraps this up by showing that they started to grumble, and Christ again doubles down and said, look, I am... This, this is the Spirit of God speaking to you. You need to embrace this. And they said, and they, they went away. You know, there's nothing com so complicated. Everybody wants to make salvation complicated, but it's not complicated. It's just you give your heart, and you believe Jesus died for you, and you truly give your heart and life to Him and ask Him to forgive you. That's how simple salvation is. But. A lot of times people try to make it into this big elaborate thing, but it's not. It's just... But then it gets real complicated. Because then we have to double down on what we say we believe and actually do it and be committed to what we say we believe. That's where it gets complicated. 
Salvation is the easy part. The daily living is where it gets really hard. Discipleship is the hard work. Salvation is easy enough for a five-year-old to understand. When you think about it. And there's too many people that are stuck in that I'm saved, but they don't want to take on the discipleship and what that that level of commitment requires. Or they do the other extreme of legalism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I... I struggle with the word believe. I feel like maybe in translation, English doesn't really capture what was intended here. The devil believes that Christ is the Son of God. I think there are people that genuinely believe in the Judeo-Christian God and Jesus and all that and haven't embraced any of it, you know? Uh, I think there are all kinds of people that say they're atheists. They're not atheists. They are Christians angry at God. You know, uh, the, the, the atheist mantra is, uh, there is no God and I hate him. I'm not sure that you can do both those things. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, uh, I've never met a happy atheist. They're always yelling at me, you know? So uh, I, 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 I think believing isn't the issue. I think we believe. What we don't do is embrace Christ's grace. We don't surrender. We don't trust. Romans chapter 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now believe in your heart is the, you know, which I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe in this and the devil believes it. But I think, I think like you said, there's a bigger terminology that we're dealing with with believe, but just head, we're not talking head knowledge. Yeah. We're talking heart knowledge. Right. I, I don't just believe he's Christ, the Son of God, and that he died for my sins. I put that in my heart, and I'm living my life as though I believe it. How about that? I was trying to think of an example. Uh, I know the strength of a tuba six. Let's just go there. But if I uh, take a tuba six and I uh, extend it out off of a six-story building... I'm not going to go stand on the tuba six out on the end of the, the board. I know how strong the tuba six is. I know it will support me. You know, there's, a, what, there's a difference between believing and committing to it. And I think that Christians need to go stand on the, on the plank. It's the country breakfast. Explain. The, the pig, or the, the chicken makes a contribution, oh, like the pig it. gives okay. his all. Oh, fair enough. Okay. I, I, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the difference. What you're talking about. I, think, I think you're talking about the limitations of the English language here. Yeah, I probably am. Because like I said, we in America with English, we use the same word love for mm -hmm. different types yes, of Yes, we do. You know, whereas, that word is very, is very I'm not trying to show up my college learning. Yeah, but yeah. when I took Greek, there's three different, four different words for. Well, there's actually. In most languages, there are several yes. words. You would, and you would probably more anyway. than one word that if you go back with belief. I mean, you've got. Yeah. To believe, I believe this chair is going to hold me up. But am I committed to this chair? Right. You know. So I, I, I kind of agree. I think you're talking more of a term of belief when it comes to what are you committed to? Do you live your life as you truly believe this? You know. I, I think that. I think. I think you're on board with that. I just. I think it's a limitation of our English language. Well, that's why you have these bold people of whatever they are destroying the English language like they've decided now that they're going to eliminate the word man and woman from the from our English language and because we're just chasing a rabbit. Chasing a rabbit. Because it, we're all going to become human now. 
that, that's going to be. Uh, I thought we were before. <laughs> okay, and we are out of time, and uh, we are going to pick up on chapter seven next week with the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, if you want to read ahead and get prepared for the argument, uh, jump right in there. And uh, so goodbye, Internet, all two of you.